As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. I'm sitting here with two of my favorite people in the world, and I'm so glad that you have joined us. We love you, Home Group. And tonight, I'm here with Paul Renner and Joel Renner. And last night in Home Group, we talked about you washing your kid's mouth out with soap. Yes, these home groups are a lot of fun. Don't miss home groups. When we get into things in home groups, we, uh, we just don't know what's going to happen. You know, sometimes we really reveal some personal things, and we're not recommending that you wash your mouth, your kid's mouth out with soap. But whenever our kids were young, we didn't allow the word hate in our home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were always told, that's a strong word. Use a different word. We did. We, that word was not allowed. And we were said to say, greatly dislike. Greatly disliked. I don't appreciate that, but the word hate was forbidden in our house about anything. We didn't hate anything. And so if the boys were having a bad day and Philip said, I hate you, <laughs> okay, that's a strong word. So, particularly when we were living in Yelgova on the second floor of that house in Latvia, I'd march the boys into the bathroom and I'd say, I love you so much. We got to take care of that. You've got dirt in your mouth. We got to get it out. I'd give them a bar of soap. I'd say, wash your mouth out. Well, you know, there is nothing more unpleasant than soap in the mouth. Ay, ay, ay. Especially the old Soviet soap. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> Kids would spit and spit. I'm never going to say the word hate again in my life. But, you know, bad words are bad words. Yes. And sometimes you have to do some dramatic things to teach people how bad their words are. Well, it's important to understand that there are consequences in life. And when you give room to strife, there will be consequences. And they're going to affect your relationships and they're possibly even going to affect your future. So when mom and dad taught us to uh, control our words because some words have a stronger effect or there will be more consequences than for other words, that was an act of love. It was an act of love. Uh, and, and if you can stop strife, you can stop a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And this week in the regular TV program, I'm doing a whole series called Overcoming Strife. It is quite amazing. And at the end of every, the beginning of every one of the programs, I'm standing on Palace Square in St. Petersburg. In St. Petersburg, amazing. Mm -hmm. And that is where the Bolshevik Revolution took place when they stormed the Winter Palace. Guess how the Bolshevik Revolution started in 1917? It resulted in more than 20 million deaths. 20 million. It started with Alexander Ulyanov. Does anybody know who that is? Think about it. Ulyanov? It's Lenin's brother. I have a painting of it. Lenin's brother was executed because he was a terrorist. Lenin bore a grudge. That grudge grew into the revolution. That resulted in 20 million people's lives being lost and 70 years of atheistic socialist communism. It all started with a grudge. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. So that's why we have a no-strife policy in our home and a no-strife policy in our ministry. The Bible says that when brethren dwell together in unity, that's where God bestows his blessing. In the same way, where there is strife, the Spirit of God will not manifest. Mm -hmm. The blessing does not come where there's strife. And so last night we shared the story about how Denise and I came up with a no-strife policy in our family. It changed our life. Mm -hmm. 
And we just are not strifeful people, and there's no one on our team that is strifeful. Mm -hmm. And when they become a member of our team, they have to sign a document saying they will not participate in strife. And if anybody does, we love them, but they're not going to be part of our team. Anyway, we want you to order the whole series. The study guide is free called Overcoming Strife. This is really helpful. Everybody has to deal with this from time to time. What do you do when somebody's having a meltdown? When you have raw emotions, how do you walk away from it so you don't give place to the devil? And it comes with a study guide. And if you've already been hurt by strife, there's a book called You Can Get Over It. And you can. The subtitle is How to Confront, Forgive, and Move On. Everybody wants to move on, mm -hmm. but people don't want to confront and people don't want to forgive. Mm -hmm. But Jesus commanded us to do all three. Confront, forgive, and move on. You know what the word forgive means? The Greek word aphiasis? Let it go. Let it go. That is literal translation. Just release it. Just let it go. When you forgive somebody, you just let it go. Because otherwise, you're holding it against them. And, and it doesn't just put them in bondage, it puts you in bondage. But when you let it go, you're forgiving them. And everybody's free. You, you, have, you, you, have, you have no argument against them anymore. But sometimes you have to let it go many times. And you know what? Jesus said that. He said you have to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and but forgive. I want to say that you don't have to tell that person every time that you just let it go, that they did something <laughs> wrong against you. You know, you can let go silently. And I think that's really important. Joel, thank you for saying that. Amen. Well, today we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4. You guys ready? Yes. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's what we saw last night. The New Living Translation says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Wait a minute. That verse says, if anger controls you, you're in sin. You may cut yourself some slack that you shouldn't be cutting yourself. The Bible identifies it as sin when your anger controls you. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Then in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. And the word give is the Greek word didomy. It means to permit. People permit room for the devil. They permit it. Mm -hmm. And just like you can permit it, you can choose not to permit it. And the word place is the Greek word topos, which describes a real geographical location like a door that you walk through or a window that you come through some kind of an entry point. We give the devil places, entry points through which he enters into our life and into our relationships. And what are some of those entry points? Well, the Bible tells us. Look at the next verse, Ephesians 4, verse 29. And let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now he's describing entry points for the enemy. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, what does that mean, corrupt communication? When I was a kid growing up and I read that verse, I thought it meant people who used four-letter words. doesn't mean that at all. That's just cursing, bad language. This word corrupt is the word sapros. <laughs> the word sapros describes anything that is putrid or rotting. Mm. <laughs> like gossip. It depicts something disgusting to taste or repulsive to smell. It describes anything that is rank, foul, putrid, rotten, corrupt, or worthless, something nasty. It's talking about nasty communication. The word communication, the Greek word logos, it's talking about words. Nasty, rotten, putrid words. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth and leaves a stink in the room. I once forgot a cabbage in 
the trash can. That can be disgusting. And I think we went on a trip and then I came home and there was this awful smell in the whole house. You could smell it everywhere. Until finally I figured out I've got this cabbage in the trash can that has now been rotting. And even after I took it out, the smell was still there. It took a little while for things, mm. for things to get better. Well, rotten communication is... Oh, it's terrible. It's putrid. And you can smell it. When you're around somebody, for example, that gossips, they talk about others, they have nothing good to say about anybody, or maybe they're just really upset with one person, and everything they say about that person cannot possibly be true. It's just, it's just over-the-top putrid. It's disgusting. The Bible says, instead, we need to speak that which is good. Mm-hmm. So you need to listen to yourself and say, am I speaking good things or am I speaking putrid things? And the word good means anything good, beneficial, or profitable. It describes even that which is brave or noble. So you have to ask, can my words be described as noble? (laughs) That's a very good question. If they're not noble, probably you shouldn't be speaking them. It says, rather, we need to speak words that are edifying. And the word edifying is an architectural term That means to enlarge, to improve, or to leave in an improved condition. Mm -hmm. And so through the years, this this is really like a self-taught lesson taken from this scripture. I've learned to ask myself, okay, when this conversation is finished, what kind of state am I leaving my listeners in? Am I leaving them in better shape? Or are they going to leave me saying, I am so sorry I was a part of that conversation? I've had a few conversations where I've, 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 before the conversation started, I said, I do not want to apologize after this meeting is over. Oh, that's a good, good way to go into a conversation. So it, how do I need to conduct myself so I don't have to apologize later? Now, I can just hear somebody say, well, that just means you can't be honest all the time. Well, that's you know what? True. You don't have to be honest about everything. You don't need to say everything you think. You can learn to deal with things constructively rather than say, I can't stand that person. They do everything... You need to say, you know what, that is a child of God who is growing and needs to probably do better in a few areas. Mm -hmm. Find something good to say. Even the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letters, even in letters where he was going to really deal with the church severely, he always started with what was good about those churches Mm -hmm. when he'd learned from that. Mm -hmm. And the next verse says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The word grieve, the Greek word, Lupe denotes pain or grief, shock, hurt, a wound. It wounds the Holy Spirit in us when we run our mouth and speak putrid words. And it opens a door for the devil. That's what the Bible says. And verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Well, those are a mouthful of King James words. So let's go to the original and find out first what is bitterness. Okay, guys, the word bitterness, uh, it's the Greek word pikria. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is an inner bitterness or attitude toward someone or toward a group or toward a situation. An inner poison. That's what the word pikria means. An inner poison that causes one to eventually become unkind, sour, sharp, sarcastic, scornful, sinful, mocking, contemptuous, and wounding. That's not God's standard for you. And the Bible says, put it away. 
Then it says wrath. The word wrath here is different than the word we saw last night. This is the word thumas. Ah, the word thumas portrays a person who suddenly flares up and loses control of some unresolved, deep-seated anger. It is an outburst. It's not acceptable. It is not acceptable. A person who boils over with anger and blows up erupting in an ugly outburst that negatively affects other people. And guess what? If it's boiling around on the inside of them anyway, they're in sin long before they have an explosion because they're allowing something to fester in them that doesn't belong in them. I have learned that when I want to speak the most, I feel like it's urgent. I feel like I have something to say. I feel like I have to say it now and I have to say it specifically to a certain person or to about a certain situation. When, when I want to speak the most, that's usually when I later regret that I spoke at all. And I need to not speak when I want to speak the most. Well, Proverbs says, where there's a lot of talk, there's sin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just smart to be quiet. Mm -hmm. But let's go on next. It mentions anger or gidzo, silent resentment that gives way to an outburst of emotion, deeply felt anger suddenly released, a swelling, growing, wrathful emotion that explodes in rage. Notice how many of these words describe something that is an explosion. Out of control. Out of control. This is the opposite of the spirit-filled life. Being self-control, having self-control. It's the opposite. of. Then it says clamor. Clamor, guess what it is? The Greek word krage, uncontrollable outbursts, yelling, screaming. It's not welcome at the table. Shouldn't be welcome at your table and you shouldn't bring it to the table. Evil speaking. What in the world is evil speaking? It's the Greek word blasphemy. It's where you get the word blasphemy. Everybody thinks that blasphemy is blaspheming God. It can be used like that, but it was a much broader term. It means, are you ready? To speak derogatory words, derogatory words that injure or harm. Derogatory speech that defames, injures, or harms another person. Debasing, derogatory, nasty, shameful, ugly speech that humiliates. So it's important that when we're upset with somebody, we ask ourselves, are we being respectful? Are we being humiliating to that person? Mm -hmm. We don't need to be humiliating. And humiliation, my friend, is not funny. Don't think that it's just being lighthearted. The person that you're humiliating, they don't think it's lightheartedness. It really hurts them. And then it says to put away all malice. The word malice is the word kakos. One who acts in spite. It is a malicious disposition. Then we're told in verse 32 what we should do. Now those are all the things we're supposed to put away. Put away means we have the ability to put them away. You say, I just can't control myself. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Let me, let me give you an example. You can be in a big fight with somebody at home and the phone rings. And you answer the phone, you say, hello. You know what you just did? You just controlled yourself. You know it's not acceptable to talk to the person that's on the other end of the line like that. So you change yourself. You can change yourself in the middle of the conversation with the person you're upset with. It is a choice. Paul? Practically, I've heard the statistic that the tone you said in the first three minutes, you won't change that tone. So if you can set the tone in the first three minutes to be in a peaceful conversation, most likely the rest of the conversation will also stay peaceful. That's very intentional. Mm -hmm. Paul, what were you going to say? 
We've spoken a lot about how we train our children and how we talk to them about what to do and what not to do. But the New Testament was written to adults. It was meant for adults to read. Uh, and so these words about putting these things away, it applies to us. It does. And if the Bible tells us to do it, it means we can do it. And we have the power in us to do it. We're free from all these things, but we have to make a choice sometimes to put them away. Because we can get uh, stuck in, in a trap of emotions and perhaps old behavior. Uh, some things are more tempting to other people than others. You can get stuck in a trap of anger or wrong words. Or hurt or resentment or unforgiveness. You have to make the choice to put it away, to forgive, Joel? to let go. I can just hear someone saying, well, you don't know who I live with, or you don't know what my parents are like, or you don't know what my boss is like, or something like that. They, they don't have the revelation of no strife. And maybe you do. So my question to you, Dad, is what do you do when one side understands that you should not explode on people and the other side thinks it's normal? Well, you probably have to draw some boundaries and maybe even seek help. Maybe talk to your pastor. But I've had people explode on me. I don't talk to those people. I love them, love them, love them. I just don't go there. I've just made, made my mind up. Mm -hmm. You can create space where you just let that person deal with themselves. There's lots of answers. But I want to go on because the Bible doesn't just tell us what not to do. It tells us what to do. And when you get to verse 32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And when it says, be ye, that's the Greek is, it's genomai. Genomai means progressively. You may not feel tenderhearted. You may not feel forgiving. You may not feel kind and in the mood to forgive. So you have to move into the mode of becoming. Be ye becoming. You got to say, okay, I'm not there yet, but I have to start. I'm going to begin right now. And by the way, you can't depend on your emotions for these things. Your emotions are not important. Your decision is important. Mm -hmm. You say, my emotions are very hurt. They'll pass if you decide to let them pass. You can move from an imprisoned state of being wounded and offended to take charge. And by the way, when you're really in that prison of your emotions, you're the victim. You're enslaved by yourself. But when you take charge and say, I choose to let that not affect me, suddenly you have totally radically changed the whole situation. And this verse says, be ye, be in the process of becoming. You have to begin somewhere, so start right now. Paul says, be ye becoming what? He says, kind. The word kind, the Greek word, Christos means warm-hearted. It is a willingness to show goodness. It is the idea of being adaptable to others. And guess what the Greek word? Described soothing medication. I think that's powerful because you need to ask, am I a soothing calm in this conversation or am I making it worse? Hmm. You have to make a decision to become a soothing medication to whatever situation that you're in. And then it says you're to be tender-hearted. And the Greek word is really strange. It's the Greek word eusplognos. Splognos is the word for your intestines. The word you means good. If you really want to translate it correctly, it's good intestines. And in the Bible, it's usually translated as the word 
compassion. Hmm. Well, forgive me for being graphic, but what happens when your bowels move? You have to do something very quickly. Something's delivered. Yes. Well, this word, eusplognos, is the word which was used. Jesus was moved with compassion. Here it's translated tenderhearted, but it describes a movement from deep within that does something good in this case. Mm -hmm. We have within us the Holy Ghost. He's shed abroad in our hearts. We do not have to be controlled by our emotions, which is of the flesh. The Holy Ghost is in us. And if we will surrender, tenderheartedness from deep inside us will move through us and will bring something good, make you a soothing medication. And then it says forgiving one another. Well, the word forgiving, guys, in Greek, I told you last night, usually it's the word aphiemi, which means to, re to release somebody or to let it go. This is such a bad translation forgiving one another. Guess what the Greek word is? Charis. Mm, What's grace. the word charis? It's the word grace. A literal translation is gracing one another. Mm -hmm. Well, when I think of God gracing me, I think of God being nice to me. Undeserved. Undeserved. And just like God has graced you, sometimes you just need to look at somebody who's in a mess and say, bless their hearts. I'm just going to let it go. We're just going to grace this. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, you can just grace things. Most things don't need a hot conversation. Most issues that people blow up about, they're not really that important anyway, and they're just momentary. That's why you can't remember what you argued about. You can't even remember later. You definitely remember that you argued. Yeah. But you can't always remember what the argument started with. Well, the rest of the verse says, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what the Greek says? Gracing one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath graced you. It's the word grace again. Mm -hmm. God has graced us. He graces me all the time. God puts up with stuff. God loves us. He's got mercy on us. Think how much mercy he has. And you know, when I'm tempted to be a little self-righteous with somebody, I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. I really hear it saying, what if I dealt with you the way you're dealing with them? What if I was as tough on you as you're being on them? Think how many things I've graced, I've overlooked, I have forgiven, and you are holding them to such a strict measure. I don't hold you to that measure. Wait a minute. What if I do that to you? Well, that just makes me want to shut my mouth <laughs> and just say, I'm going to grace this situation. And remember, sowing and reaping always works. Mm -hmm. What you give is what's going to come back to you. If you give anger, you're going to get it. If you give an outburst, you're going to get it. If you grace somebody, you're going to get it. What do you want? You want to be graced? Then you need to grace. Another thing that David talked about this in the Psalms, that he doesn't have to seek out his own redemption. God will provide the redemption. Mm -hmm. So you don't always have to fight for yourself. If, if you just give it time, God will take care of the situation. He will. Amen. Paul? Amen. Well, it, it means that we don't just avoid situations. In situations where we could potentially respond mm -hmm. in an aggressive way, we can actually be kind mm -hmm. and grow in kindness in a situation mm -hmm. where we could potentially experience wrath and say some things that we regret, we could actually be gracing the situation. This is, these are the choices that we have to make. 
And so we don't just avoid these situations. Mm -hmm. In a situation mm -hmm. that could be potentially bad, we make the right decision and become a constructive or a healing force. And being gracing people doesn't mean that you ignore what's going on. Mm -hmm. you, I mean, you have to deal with what's going on, but you can just mix some grace in there. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. It's like what you were talking about, Paul. There are consequences in life, like we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. But, you know, you can do it strife-free. And I want to also say that usually if a person's born again and they get really ugly, they're embarrassed after it. And if you grace them, you kind of make it easier for them to come back to the table without feeling shameful. Don't lose the opportunity to continue to influence or continue the relationship, that's especially right. if it's someone that's dear to you. That's right. Well, hey, I think this has been good. But we're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to pick up right here. I think this is really helpful. And I want to thank you, Mr. Renner, for joining me and Joel Renner on Home Group. And thank you, Mr. Renner. Oh, you're very welcome, okay. Mr. Renner. <laughs> Mr. Renner. Mr. Renner, Mr. Renner, Mr. Renner. And thank you, Home Group, for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.